0: In I yeah, have to uh, also uh, the entire Bible. <laughs> so In fact, that'll never happen because I'm God has not given me that brain. I've tried, and it's I'm not built for memorization. So I have to look things up. Hava, do you miss Uriah? You got one more week. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Make sure you guys love on Habla this week so she hasn't, she's not twiddling her fingers. All right. So I've, I've, I am, my voice is a little bit tired. I've already done the parenting class this morning. So yesterday, or last Sunday, and then this Sunday, I taught the parenting class about teenagers, okay, which is funny because I don't have any teenagers. It doesn't even make sense. But I've worked with some of them, and um, so they asked me to do it. And it's a strain on my voice because I'm not used to it. So if I sound a little strained, forgive me. Um, but but are we ready? You guys seem ready, actually. So let's do it. So, last week we began discussing through verses uh, 14, 15, and 16 what it means to be a son or a child of God. Okay? I'm um, good. Now... Specifically, the implications of sonship. Okay? What does it mean? Okay, so because you're a son, because you're a child of God, because through salvation, through the acceptance in Jesus Christ, the day that you repented, the day that you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, okay, what you did is you came into a binding contract. And there's things that come along with that. I mean, we just bought a car. And. Um, There was like many different forms I had to sign and things I had to present and all these things that I don't really know anything about, right? And if I was a responsible car buyer, I would probably know stuff about that. Like I would probably read the contracts and say, I'm like, no, I want the car, I'm going to sign right here. And a lot of us are that way when when we came to know Jesus Christ, no, I need to repent. And you knew just a few things about Christ and you knew, you knew what it meant to be free in him, but you didn't know the other things that were binding in that relationship, Right? You didn't know the details. And that's the beautiful thing about Romans is it presents for us in a way that the, the four Gospels don't. An opportunity to learn about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and one of the things that we've been talking about is how, you know, just like Paul struggled with sin. And he, he, he did things that he knew he shouldn't do. He struggled with that. Well, we do that too. And, and we've learned about over the last few weeks what it means to be set free from the bondage of our sin. Mortifying our flesh so that we can live in the liberty and the actuality of our sonship. That's what we're talking about. And last week specifically, we talked about how God's children are led by His Spirit. Okay? Now whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit, that can seem really abstract. So we always have to break that down a little bit when we're talking about the Spirit and what the Spirit does. Okay? But look at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So we talk about two things. First of all, God doesn't try to lead people that are His children. Right? You remember that? So if you don't belong to God, He can't lead you. And a lot of people in this world, they want to be led by God, but they don't want to belong to Him. That's problematic. Okay? You want to be led by... Your circumstances aren't are, are great. Okay, well, no, I just read a statistic this morning to, to the parenting class that people from this generation... Okay, uh, believe that God's job is to make them happy, and there was all these statistics surrounding it that I don't have memorized because I don't know how to do that. <clears throat> but, but but what it was saying was that generationally, this is a generation of people, okay, who believe that God's primary responsibility is to make them happy, okay, and this is true across religions, not just Christianity. And so what that means for them is that they only come to God when they need Him. God, will you lead me through this circumstance? Will you lead me through this difficult situation? And what they don't do is recognize that in order to be led by God, they first have to belong to Him. Okay? So then what that means is if you are a child of God, it's your responsibility to let the Holy Spirit lead you. And we've learned over the last few weeks that the Holy Spirit leads in, in two, different, two or three different ways, okay? He leads through the teaching of, his, of God's Word. Okay? So, when you're reading God's word, that's the instruction for our lives. No, I didn't. What are you? Son? Quit experimenting. We're beyond the experimentation phase. Okay? At this point, we're in. We're doing it. We're actually doing it. Okay? I mean, we're doing it. Okay, thank you. So, so. Uh, he leads through his word, he leads through the convicting power and the empowerment this, this is the abstract part is that the Holy Spirit actually provokes us from within and I had a great conversation with someone yesterday who was telling me how they they heard from god 's word and that they heard from the spirit as well. the spirit was leading them to do something specifically and it was a provocation in the heart and I was so glad to hear that okay but then then also God leads through the guidance of of the people in your lives that are also following the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And so there's these things that God uses to ultimately drive your spirit, the Spirit of God within you, to do what's right and to live what's right. That's what it means to be a son or a daughter of God. Is it, You know, I, we talked about this too, is that like, for my children, I desire for them, if they love me, to do what I ask them to do. In fact, when they disobey to me, it, it throws into question their actual love for me. Does that make sense? When, when they obey, it's a reflection of the fact that they do love me and they do reverence me and they desire to be in, in, in relationship with me. If they're always trying to rebel, then man, that's, that's telling me that they're struggling to love me. Does that make sense? And so one of the things we learned about was that the Spirit leads us It guides us. And then also as children, we are loved deeply. We are loved deeply. okay, And we recognize that through God's actions. If you look at verse 15, it says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, ye have received the spirit of adoption. And so what that tells us is that the actions of God through Jesus Christ gave us the ability to be adopted into His family. And that, that He has set us free through His Spirit, set us free from bondage. The world was bondage. It was, a, it was a prison for our lives. We were slaves to our own sin. We had no freedom whatsoever, even when we were convinced that we did. And when Jesus Christ, we accepted Jesus Christ and we, we came into relationship with Him, His actions, His love actions proved to us that He loved us and wanted to lead us. So we're set free. And, and, and that tells us that He loves us, but also by His very name, Abba Father. Abba, Father. Daddy, Father. We talk about those two names. Those two names are only used a couple times in the New Testament together like that. And what they do is they tell us that God wants our affection. Daddy, that term of endearment, that term of affection. But He also wants to lead us, that term Father. He wants us to obey. He wants us to reverence Him. And that is our relationship with God as His children. To both come to Him in a desire to be intimate. To be able to come to Him in honesty. To be able to come to Him uh, uh, in weakness and in doubt and in struggle and to lean into him, into his protecting arms the way a small child would with their daddy. But then also to reverence him in an intellectual way. Okay? Where he's our father and it demands for us to live for him because he's, he's, a, he's a, a, a figure that demands reaction. Okay? Now what else does it mean for us to be the sons of god this is today's message part 2 i'm going to pray again is that okay cuz I, I feel like my introduction has already, you've I've already lost you i'm looking around and like brenda is like doing this okay so that's usually a sign of something okay let's let's pray dear heavenly father lord i love you and I, I'm thankful that you're my daddy. Because um, I never knew that. I never knew um, that I had a daddy. I had someone that I could go to in um, the tenderness uh, and, and the intimacy um, that, I, that I desperately needed from, from birth. I needed that. And I, I found it in you. And uh, Lord, I'm, I'm glad that I have someone to follow, that you're a father that is an example to me, that you've, that you've told me your character, your very character. And I have the ability to press into that and to be conformed to your image. And I'm so thankful for that, that I have a father that's worth following. And God, today as we talk about the implications of following you and what it means to be a son, God, I pray that the people in this room, including even myself, would have a heart to hear even the difficult words, the, most, the hardest things to, to read in your word. Uh, Lord, often mean the most for us. And, and so God, I just pray that you would show us this morning exactly what you'd have for us. And I ask this in the name of your, your son, Jesus Christ, because of what he did for us and, and and because his sacrifice and because he proved how much you love us. I ask this in his name, amen. Okay, so. Here we go. Sonship, part two. The Spirit grants us inheritance in Him. Okay, and we we touched on this last week, but we didn't really dive in. As His children, we are benefactors with Christ. Okay, God has lifted us up to a position of blessing in His kingdom. Okay, let me slow down for a second. When Jesus came into your heart, you know what that did? Part of that binding contract means that you're a benefactor of all of the things that come with knowing Him. All of the things that come with knowing Him. You're a benefactor of those things. And what this says, look at verse 17. If children, then heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. You know, in in this world often, uh, particularly in the past, like in the Western world maybe, in the Eastern world as well, what we see is that the benefactor, the one that receives the inheritance is usually who in a family. Like when we read like old fables and things, Right? Who usually gets the the blessing? The firstborn son. Right? And I'm so thankful that that's not true in this inheritance that comes with knowing God. I'm thankful that, like, you know, Jacob and Esau jockeying over uh, their father's blessing and fighting over that, and the war between those two factions. Over blessing, I'm glad I don't have to do that among my brothers and sisters in Christ. All of us are equally benefactors in Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? It first says, if children, then heirs of God. Heirs of God. So what does it mean to be an heir of God? Because there is a delineation here between an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, heirs of God means that we find our inheritance in His acceptance the fact that God the Father, when He looks on us and He sees us as His children, that is the inheritance that we receive in God. We are heirs of God, meaning that He's adopted us and brought us into something that we did not deserve. It didn't belong to us. And if we're going to think about it, we, we weren't even the ones that, des- that, that were supposed to get the blessing. It was the nation of Israel that was the original child of God. And through Jesus Christ, we have the ability to also be benefactors in that relationship with God. The God of old is our God of new. And man, that's so awesome to know that we have become heirs of God. That we've become adopted. That we're a part of of, of His family now. But then it also says joint heirs with Christ. Which means that all that is Christ has, has been appointed to us to also inherit. That we also receive the things that Jesus Christ has been appointed to receive. That's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? Hebrews chapter 1, one says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Okay, so, if you read that correctly, Jesus Christ's inheritance is What? What's it say? All things. So if Jesus Christ inherits all things, and we've been adopted into God's family, and we are now joint heirs with Christ, then what is our inheritance? Okay, good. I'm glad you guys aren't slow. So what an overwhelming thought to receive something that we've, we have not once earned this. This is not something that we, that we like, fought for, we had to earn God's favor. For we simply just, just had to be found in Jesus Christ and be and be adopted into His family. Revelation chapter twelve verse one. This is this is what we get to inherit. Inherit, guys. Listen carefully. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven When you read that, does that give you the ability to let go of some stuff? Does that give you the freedom to kind of just like contextualize your whole life? Man, man, here's our first key point. Heaven's pretty great. This is the best key point I've ever had, by the way. Evans, pretty great. I mean, who in here has been sad the last in the last week? It's okay. Wow, gosh. <laughs> we we need that emotion study bad, I guess. <laughs> um, man, I have. You know, Eve and I are having a hard time. I'm going to share this. She doesn't. No one, this is just, I'm free free mad, uh, What is it? I'm freestyling here. So. But Eva, um, this morning, was crying. Because the, the situation with the baby has just been hard, right? She's been in the hospital twice, and it's just been a hard situation. You know? And life is just hard, isn't it? Like, there's a lot of difficulty that comes with being a human being, and being bound by our flesh, and being here. And so what happens is, we have the ability to look to God's Word, and read a passage like Revelation chapter 12, and know that this is not how it's supposed to be. And it won't always be this way. Right? Like life can be really cool and be awesome and it usually is. But then sometimes it can just be awful. I mean, we have, we have, we have an enemy that's just on our tail constantly. He's after us. There's a, it's, a, it's a full frontal assault from the world and Satan and our flesh. And, and these things come up against us. And the thing is, life hurts and it's painful. But the truth is, we can look to God's word and we can say, man, heaven is great. I can't wait to be there. And it reframes the way we see our current life. But Paul makes a very important statement. And and this is where it gets a little bit difficult to read. And I I need you to bear with me here. In verse 17, it goes on. And it says, If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time uh, are, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And and so the word if um, here is more like the word in as much, okay. And so what he's doing is he's equating suffering with inheritance. Okay, so this is one of those fine print things in the binding contract of salvation that we often neglect when we when we sign up to be be saved, when we repent. You know, one of the things with my son that I'm trying, I want him to understand as much as possible before he, before he chooses to follow Jesus. Every night. He, without fail, he's asking me to get saved. And until I'm, I'm comfortable with him asking Christ to save him, I need him to understand what forgiveness really is and what it implies. And there's certain things I need for him to understand. And I just keep working with him until he, he's, his eyes are fully open and he's ready to make the move. Okay? But there's certain things that, man, you don't realize it until you're starting to mature in your faith. And this is one of those things that, that as a child, that your inheritance isn't just heaven. Your inheritance is also suffering. And I'm I'm, I'm sorry to let you know that, but it's just a part of being a Christian. Paul is saying that suffering should be intermingled with our inheritance, with our faith. Philippians chapter 1 verse 9 says, For unto you it is given, in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. And let me tell you something. In that that world that I just described a little bit ago where all the Christians think that that God's job is to make them happy? That God's job is to ensure happiness for them? Those people haven't once considered their inheritance. Those people haven't once considered what it truly means to be a son of God. If you know what it means to be a son or daughter of God, then you know that what comes along with being a Christ follower is some suffering. 1 Thessalonians 3, 4 says, For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. Like, like what Paul's saying there is like, look, I've been telling you all along the way, he's telling that the church in Thessalonica, look, all along the way, didn't I tell you that suffering was a part of this? I mean, it was something that Paul regularly taught. And we don't talk about it enough. We don't talk about that suffering is actually a good thing. It's right. It's what God has for us. And in a world where the system is set up against us, we spend most of our life avoiding suffering. If the system is set up against you, unless, listen, you know what? You, you know when the system gets easier? You know when, when Satan relents? Is when you buy into his system. So there's two ways. Really, no, there's just one way. I'll say there's two. There's, there's two ways to escape suffering. Two. That's it. A, you can do it temporarily by choosing to follow Satan and the system that the world has for you. You can temporarily relent suffering. Okay? But then you have to pay for it later on. Or, you escape suffering through the return of Jesus Christ or death. That's it. That's it. So if you've decided that you're going to be a Christian and you call yourself son or daughter of God, then you don't have much options. Your job is to suffer as long as you live. So here's our key point. If we are joint heirs with Christ in his kingdom, it's only reasonable that we are also joint sufferers with him on earth. We talk about how we want to be like Jesus. We talk about how we want to be conformed to his image. We talk about how we can't wait to be with him and and stare longingly into his face and to hold his hand and walk and tiptoe down streets of gold. I mean, honestly. This is the myth. This is the myth that we live with is that, that the narrative goes like we want everything to look like heaven all the time. But the problem is that God tells us That heaven is present with us. That's, what the kingdom, that's why the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is so necessary for Bible studiers to understand. I have God living with me. I, I have Jesus Christ ever present with me in my heart through his spirit. And he's with me, enduring, the way he always had as I, as I go. Now we're going to talk about suffering. Let's camp out here for a, a minute. Because first of all, suffering is important. Suffering is important. Second Timothy 3:12 says, "Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution." So first of all, as we talk about suffering being important, we also recognize that suffering is a mark of godliness. Okay, that's what 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ, Jesus shall suffer persecution. This goes back to this idea that if you're not following God and you're not living godly, then you shouldn't have to worry about persecution in the temporary uh, too much. Because, you know, Satan's got your back and all. Right? But if you're living for God, if you're living godly, you're going to suffer persecution. It's going to be difficult for the person who wants to go around the way the d- disciples did and, and tell the whole world about Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ is ever present on your lips, and if your primary pus- pursuit is God and His Word, and, and, and instilling the truths into other people, guess what? You're going to come up against persecution. But that persecution and that suffering should be assigned to you. You're doing what's right. Now sometimes we suffer because of sin. We do. If you're a child of God, sometimes... God's going to spank you and the suffering that you receive is to chastise you and bring you back in alignment. We're not talking about that right now. What we're talking about is the suffering that comes with doing what's right. And I know a lot of you in this room, and I know a lot of you are doing what's right. I mean, I know your testimony. And, and in your heart right now, answer the question, have you faced suffering over the last few months? Because most of you should say, yes, I've faced suffering in light of the fact that I'm following Jesus Christ. Like, how many times has Connor been sick since she's been... I mean, has anybody been reading this? You would think that she was, like, completely unhealthy, that she was, like, not doing real well, right? But the truth is, she's under attack, and her flesh does not want her preaching the gospel because people have been getting saved everywhere she goes. You know that? Have you been seeing that testimony? Everywhere Connor is going, everywhere these guys are going, people are getting saved. They're accepting Jesus Christ in Cambodia and Vietnam, and you know what? This is it's only obvious to me that every time they turn around the corner, there will be something that comes up against them. Something to the matter with the visa? Something the matter with travel? Something to matter with their finances? Okay, something is, and the same thing is true of our day to day life. If we're living missionally, we're going to face difficulty, and it should kind of be right. Like we should be cool with that, because suffering is a mark of living godly, and that's what we want to do. Suffering is also a discipline. Philippians 4.12, I know both how to be abased. This is Paul talking, right? Now, who knows that Paul suffered the most? I mean, besides Jesus Christ, when I read his testimony, I mean, the dude was stoned multiple times. He was shipwrecked, okay? Uh, Like, he went through a lot. He was scourged. Just the word scourged, like we could say he was beat, but scourged sounds so much worse. Doesn't it? Ugh. I don't know what comes with a scourging, but it sounds awful, and I don't ever want it. Wait, 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 wait. Unless God has it appointed to me. So we know that Paul went through a lot, and he's saying this, this and he's like, I know how to be abased. Like, I know how to suffer. I know how to, I know how to put myself low. I know how to go through stuff. And I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer. I'm cool with whatever, God. Difficulty, blessing, seasons of hardship, seasons of difficulty, I'm cool. I'm content. Because I got you. But it is a discipline. It is a discipline to train yourself, that it's to say that it's okay to suffer, and I'm going to rely on God even though it's difficult, even though I want to make my own way out of this situation, even though I want to plot and plan and scheme and get myself out of this, you guys I'm going to trust you because suffering is a discipline he knows how to suffer he requ- in order for Paul to learn to know how to suffer it requires a level of resolve that many people don't have he's very resolute isn't he yeah you don't see him wavering much right because he had an awareness of what we're going to learn here, that heaven is close. <sighs> that heaven is close. His spiritual reality and his physical reality were intermingled. They were entwined. And when he looked at people, he didn't see people, he didn't see flesh, he saw souls. When we look at the world, he didn't see the world as like this beautiful place. He saw it as cursed and hurting and in pain. When he thought about heaven, he didn't think of it as something that was far away. He thought of it as something where he was actually presently seated and it was seated with him. He didn't see those things as distant and far apart and divided. He saw them as seamless interactions. And he was resolved to follow Jesus Christ. Suffering makes maturity as well. So we know that there are certain things that make one mature. We recognize that the Word of God makes one mature. The more you study the Word of God, Second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen through seventeen, it does something to you. It makes you more mature. And in fact, if you're not studying daily, you're asking to be less mature. Like you don't want to be mature in God. If, like we don't think about it that way, but because we, we want all the benefits of being a Christian and being a leader and leading in ministry and doing all those things, but we're not willing to do the hard work of studying because studying gets you there. It really does. God uses his words to change you. Okay, but also the teaching of the Holy Spirit, that provocation that we talked about earlier. 2 Corinthians 3 17 through 18 tell us about how the Holy Spirit also teaches us and conforms us to the image of Jesus Christ that way. Okay, but the thing I want you to understand is there's also this thing in the world that teaches us, that God invites in. Like, have you read Job? Have you seen how that works? we think about bad things happen to, happening to us a lot of times and we like, oh, Satan. <laughs> yeah, but, but a lot of times God is allowed, what's happening is God is allowing Satan to attack you. Okay? And it's coming to you. But God tied the bow and the ribbon on that package. Like what's inside might belong to Satan. But Jesus is the one who's saying, yeah, go ahead. You know why? Because he uses trial and suffering in our lives to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ and to grow to be mature. You want to be mature, Learn how to suffer. James 1: 2, my brethren, count, count it all joy when you fall into divers, which means diverse, temptations or trials or difficulties. Count it a joy. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, which we all know because we studied 2 Peter together in ministry. Okay, Dan taught on this, that patience is a mile marker in your pursuit of maturity in Jesus Christ. Second Peter taught us that. Chapter 1, go read it. That patience is a marker in your maturing. In fact, it's on the, the second half of that maturing process. A person who's patient is actually a pretty mature individual. And suffering works out our patience. Romans five three says, "And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation worketh patience." Suffering makes us mature. So why are we so afraid of it? You know, we we have such a wrong perspective of it. Now I'm telling you right now, I want I want to reiterate this point. Some of you invite suffering into your life because well, because you're dumb, because you're dumb. (laughs) And I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you're making bad decisions. That's why no one likes you. That's not something... I, people at work don't like you. You have a bad testimony. What, is that God's fault? So listen to me. Some of the suffering that you endure, you've got to be able to delineate. Let the Holy Spirit delineate between your stupidity and what you've provoked as suffering and the thing that God has delivered to your doorstep. In college, you take a philosophy class, and in philosophy, they teach you the difference between free will and determination. Right? This used to be this old debate uh, about, about whether or not we have free will, right? or everything is, is everything determined like we're robots. Okay? Some of you have had that class. Who's taken philosophy in college? You talk about free will and determinism. Well, what we've recognized logically is that we live in a world where things happen because of our free will, and things happen because they're determined. Some things just happen to you and they're outside of your control and some things you you provoke. Don't poke the bear. You're going to get the teeth. So don't be dumb. What we're talking about here is learning how to suffer when something has been determined outside of your physical making and it's come and it's been delivered to your doorstep and you have to face it how are you going to react? Are you going to see it as an opportunity to mature, an opportunity to become disciplined, an opportunity to accept the inheritance of Jesus Christ through his suffering? Okay, so suffering is often avoided. It's amazing how in our day-to-day life, we practice avoidance of suffering. We don't know how to engage suffering face-to-face because we're cowards. We're soft. You know, like a hundred years ago, uh, men worked in fields all day, and they plowed. And there was just a grit about them. My favorite, one of my favorite movies, I have a top 30 movie list. Within the top 10, okay, I went to art school, and I'm nerdy this way, all right? I have a top 30 movie list. It's ever-evolving and changing. Okay. Within the top 10 is a movie called True Brit. Okay? Now, listen, I love both. I love both. The newer one is better and I, for John Wayne fans, I like John Wayne, okay? But 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 the truth is the new movie is so beautiful, and the acting is so amazing. Uh, anyway. But in this story, it's this guy who's this he's not very like well-polished individual, he's the hero, and he ends up doing the hard thing in the end, right? Isn't everybody loves that story. It's this guy that seems like he's messed up, but in the end in the end, his heart is right, and he's willing to endure and suffer for on other people's behalf. I'm like about to cry about it. Listen to me. I want to know how to suffer that way. And I've grown soft because, you know, the truth is we sit at computers all day and we don't know what hard work is and we don't know what suffering is. And we've grown soft. And it's affected us spiritually. Because I'm happy. Stupid. It's the dumbest thing ever. As though every, like the philosophy of life is just to be happy. And that can only happen if I avoid hard work and difficulty and suffering. That's the world we live in. We have to buck that system. If we are going to be the remnant believers in this world, if we are going to be the ones that go into Cambodia, into Vietnam, into all the tiny corners of the earth, and wherever it's dark to go and to present light, guess what? Some of you are going to have to get a little bit tougher than you are. Because some of us are soft. And we're very comfortable sitting where we're sitting. Even knowing that I'm going to come at you every week like this. You've grown comfortable with that. And the truth is, uh, that kills me. I don't want to be that kind of believer. I don't want you to be that kind of believer. Do not avoid suffering. 2 Timothy 1, 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed of my suffering. I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I'm not afraid to suffer because I believe in the one. I'm not afraid of it. I know how to do it. I know how to endure difficulty. Hebrews 11.25 Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So you can go enjoy the pleasures of the world and that can be your pursuit and you can do that for a season or two. Or you can choose to ride out with God's people. And it's great to have one another because the truth is 1 Corinthians teaches us that suffering is something that the body endures together. Like when one person, we're fitly joined. So when one person hurts, everyone hurts. And we get to do that together. And so we don't, none of us have to suffer alone because we don't we not only have Jesus Christ with us, but we also have one another. And if God is our Godhead, the things that hurt God's heart should also hurt the body. If he's the one that rules over us, so if Jesus Christ is the head and we are the body, then the things that affect God and hurt his heart should also affect us. So we get to endure all of this together. Isn't that beautiful? But the choice that that Paul's making here in Hebrews, the delineation he's making, is that rather than choosing sin for a season, and the pleasures of sin for a season and doing the easy thing, the easy way out, I'm gonna choose to lean in and suffer with God's people. I like that. Makes me feel like well like true grit, you know? <laughs> Suffering is glorious. Suffering is glorious. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory, glorify God on his behalf. Don't be ashamed. Glorify in it, on God's behalf. Okay, so what does that mean? We live, we live life here on earth, on God's behalf. You understand that concept? Like, <clears throat> we're messengers, we're ambassadors here on earth. And so when we endure suffering as a good soldier, okay, there's a message that comes with that on God's behalf. It's a testimony to the world. If we're not ashamed of suffering and people watch us live like that, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what is it like? Uh, uh, so when people ask you about the hope inside you, you'll be, you'll be able to give a response to everyone who asks well, why would people ask you about hope? Well, because they've watched you suffer. And they've watched you endure suffering. That's why they'd ask you about hope. Well, why does that person have joy all the time? Like they're going through hell. Why are they why do they have joy? Cuz they know something the rest of the world doesn't. Suffering is good. <laughs> suffering is good. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It's our light affliction. The affliction that we suffer is light in comparison to what we see and witness in heaven and glory. Suffering is joyous. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 8 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So the next key point, key point number three, of all the pain you can endure in life, it's of little to no consequence in light of redemption. In light of redemption, your suffering doesn't mean a whole lot. Why? Well, how could that be true? Because a lot of times when we suffer, we're so caught up in the moment that it's difficult for us to see anything in that moment, right? It's really hard for us. So how is it, how is it that our suffering can mean so little in light of glory? You guys live? Well, first of all, heaven's just that great. Yeah? And eternity is just that long. It's just that long. So, like, you're here, what? But what, what, if you're, you're lucky, I mean, if, if have, you, know, you don't get sick and, and, and die early, you might live to be 75, 80, you know, 90 even nowadays. It's great. It's great at all. But that's nothing. That's nothing. It's just a short period of time. Life is but a vapor, right? We learn that. And, and so life is very, very short. Eternity is very, very long. And so if, if we look, if we were to, to stretch out, like, a chronology, like, I don't know, like, I don't know, 5,000 years, which is just, A blip. That's just a blip on the eternity radar. And we said, okay, here's Jorge's life. He lived to be 110. (coughs) Old man Jorge. (laughs) I imagine Jorge was like a really white, long, scraggly, you know, like like Latino beards. They're a little bit more scraggly. You know, they just are. Lots of neck hair, not a lot of hair up here usually. So I see it just getting really long, like this, white, old, old man Jorge. Okay? Are you going to walk with, a, with like, a, a handcrafted, like, cane that you made from, yeah, I see that too. <clears throat> so Jorge's life, in light of 5,000 years, is, is nothing. We're gone. It's a vapor. It's nothing. Sound effects are better with this mic, by the way. You hear that? That was a good sound effect. <laughs> And the thing is, if we believe that, then it makes this much easier. Like when my son goes to the doctor and gets a shot, I, my job is to convince him that it's just a moment. That's my primary concern, is like convincing him that the pain is going to be gone, just like that. It's okay. Because it's just a moment. If the pain was like long term, man, that'd be a harder thing to reckon. But the truth is, life is but a vapor. And so in light of glory, and in light of heaven, it's cool. It's cool. I can suffer. I can do it. I can do, I can do all things to Christ. Right? We, we abuse that verse a lot, don't we? I can water ski. I can be an MBA. All things to Christ is strength me. All things. I can be rich. This was... Okay, but, but the truth is, all things, all things mean, it, we have to look at Scripture in light of Scripture. All things that Christ has strengthened me. You know what? Uh, all things it means our inheritance and suffering. The things that we endure. What does life look like? For real. Enduring that. And creation cries out for redemption. And So this is going to be the last thing that we focus on. <clears throat> Verse 19. Creation cries out for redemption. And this is a super important concept as it regards suffering because that's what we want too we want redemption because when redemption comes right when we get to live in the kingdom of heaven well suffering goes right so let's look at this heart for the earnest expectation of the creature okay the creature that's a, uh, the creature there means the thing that's created who was created well Adam and Eve were created so that's our greatest grandparents right so we were created through that lineage uh, the earth was created the universe was created these things were created, right? They were made. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, and, and that means like um, misery, <laughs> personal misery, subject to misery, not willingly, but by reason of him that hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption and the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. What are they waiting for? What is it that creation is waiting for? What's it waiting for? What is it crying out for? What is it groaning for? Okay, let's back up for a second. Let's first look at why is it groaning in the first place. Because creation is cursed. It's cursed. The world was changed when Adam sinned, and the result has been pain and suffering until now. Okay, now listen. When we talk about creation, we talk about what this is implying is like organic and living things. What what things are, are living? Okay, first of all, well, nature is living, isn't it? It breathes. Okay, so so, listen. What I'm going to get to you is that all three types of organic matter, living creatures, are complicit in the fall. Where was it? What was it? What was it? The Adam and Eve were tempted with a tree. It was a tree, wasn't it? It was a tree that tempted them. Because that tree called out to them to seek hidden knowledge, things that God had forbidden for them. It was a tree. Okay? Who was it that tempted them? Who was it that lied to them? Who was it that confused things? It was a serpent, wasn't it? So the beast is also complicit. Right? And then lastly, but not least, it was our provocation. We actualized it, we introduced sin into this world. All creation is suffering the repercussions of a decision made thousands and thousands of years ago by our greatest grandfather and the whole of creation is crying out for God to deliver us. And you can read Genesis chapter 3, verses 19 through 23, and what we discover is that the earth became a place of toil, where man had to work the earth. There's implications of our sin for the man, for the woman, for the beast, for the earth. Things aren't right. Things aren't the way they were in the garden. There was a time where there wasn't suffering. There was a time where things were... that pain wasn't even a concept. And now as it's been introduced and we've been living with it, we recognize in our heart of hearts a groaning out for things to be redeemed. A pain and a yearning deep inside of us that calls out for something better than this. It's got to be better than this. I mean, like, (laughs) you know, I'm talking this way and it still sounds really grand like what i'm preaching to you right now is really grand but really what the truth is how do we live this like how do we live in a way where we're thinking about and yearning for the curse to be lifted do you do that do you think about your suffering that way that it belongs to the curse Romans 5:12 Wherefore is by one man sin entered, sin entered in the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all of sin. It's what we carry. It's what we live with. It's our reality. It's been passed down to us from Adam. It's it's what, it's it's what we are. It's, we are. We are part of a suffering world. It's crying out and groaning for deliverance. You know, Hebrew or Habakkuk. Uh, 2.10 says, Thou hast consulted shame to the house by cutting off many people and hast sinned against thy, thy soul. For the stone shall cry out of the wall and the beam of the timber shall answer it. Job 31.38 says, If my land cry against me, or that the furrows likewise thereof complain. I mean, both these passages tell us that stones and, and, and wood are crying out and yearning I mean, things that we consider to be dead. Like even the rocks will cry out. Like if no one will glorify me, even the rocks will cry out. This is the thing that we don't understand is that this world demands the actualization and the manifestation of the adoption that's been been promised to us. When, oh God, you read Zechariah, when, oh God, when will we be delivered? When? And he's like, I'm anxious to do so. If that's God's heart I'm anxious just be patient children just be patient like you see this as thousands of years I see this as days get outside yourself for just a minute and be patient with me verse 31 of our 21 of Romans 8 says shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God Thank goodness. Verse 23, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. So listen to me very carefully. Our salvation right now is only in part. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Man, awesome. You're sealed until the day of redemption. But the truth is, you're only saved in part. Do you realize that? You're only saved in your soul. Your soul has been set apart. Your spirit has been quickened. But the truth is you have a body that is yet to be redeemed and your body suffers and it feels pain and it knows pain and it knows emotion and difficulty. It knows sadness. Your body knows those things. And there comes a day, and this is the groaning out, where your flesh will be redeemed. And the truth is your body will come into the fullness of the adoption in Jesus Christ and you'll live with him for eternity and you'll be made right. Who else is excited for that? Am I talking to myself right now? Verse 24, if we, were, we are saved by hope. The hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope? So look, first of all, saved here is not our current salvation. This is the salvation that comes with that, that, that quickening of our flesh. The redemption of our flesh. That's the save that we're talking about. And what's being said here is that we have to hope for that day. And it's not something that we can see. Can anybody see Heaven. You know, there's people that live in the Kansas City metro area. They claim that they've seen heaven. They're, they're crack jobs. They're heretics. And they're cults. Okay? There's people that say that. We won't say any names. and We won't say any churches. Come talk to me in private. <laughs> but listen, they, they, they say they've been to heaven. I mean, I have a recording that a kid gave me for high, at the high school. that is a testimony of a man who says he's been to hell. Like these these crazy people. Listen, Christian, it says here, we're hoping for something that we can't see. We're hoping for something that we can't see. That requires faith. Faith in what? Faith in a promise. Promise of what? Promise of redemption of the flesh. God has told us that one day he will make all things right. And heaven and earth will pass away. But you know what? The truth is, So compared with the sufferings of today, eternity makes everything right. It makes everything in context. I can suffer a little bit. I can endure because my hope isn't wrapped up in this world. It's wrapped up in the reality, that I, the thing that I can't see. It's wrapped up in a heavenly place where I'm seated, a thing that I can't fully understand, but I trust in because the word tells me so. Key point number four, our present suffering, as well as our personal yearning for Christ's return, should result in a lifestyle of hope We can live in hope. We can live in hope. A lifestyle of it. Where every day we're hopeful of Christ's deliverance. We're hopeful of redemption. We're excited about it. And so the yearning that we have inside of us, well that could be manifest true now. We live light, uh, live uh, our reality in light of eternity. We can do that. We have the ability to do that. But we've got to trust God in His word and His promise. Without a promise there's nothing to hope for. Without the promise, there's nothing to hope for. But some of us don't even read our Bibles, so we don't even know what the promises are. God, forgive us. Our present suffering, as well as our yearning for Christ's return, should result in a lifestyle of hope. And hope is, is, is rooted in trusting the promises of God. Philippians 3.21 Who shall change, here's the promise, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Romans 8, uh, 25. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. James 5, 7. Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. I mean, Paul talked this way, didn't he? Paul was always saying, look, Jesus is coming back any day now. Well, was that true? I mean, not literally, was it? I mean, Paul was convinced in, in his weakness, and in, in, the, in, the, in the, the amount of information that God had given him, the disciples all believed that Jesus was going to come back any moment, like, he'll be back next week, so we gotta, we gotta do what he asks us to do because he's gonna be back next week. And that's how they lived. And, and what Paul is doing, is modeling for us, is this same concept. The, 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 Jesus Christ is drawing nigh. He'll be here any minute, any, any day now. And so we have to live life in, re, in the reality of that. And that gives us the ability to hope every day and to yearn for right things. Verse, uh, we'll stop there. We'll stop there. I don't want to get into the next section. Listen to me, believer. As we do the invitation, as, as the worship team comes up, here's the question on the floor. How are you handling difficulty? Like right now, what's the, what is, like some of you probably have situations right now that are proving themselves to be very difficult. You know what? Some of it might be of your own making. Well, repent of that. Repent of that. That's okay. God loves you. He's merciful. He can make all things right. Yeah? He can do that. But some of us are facing trial and tribulation right now because it's just the nature of suffering. It's just the nature of life. And you know what? We need to get our hearts aligned with God's today. And we need to learn how to embrace suffering. It has to be a common part of our vernacular. You know? Like, like recognizing that, you know what? It's okay that this is happening to me. And seeing life in light of that. You know, a lot of times we go to our friends and we ask for prayer. And we do that. That's the right thing. But when we go to our friends in prayer, we should also work really hard at contextualizing the difficulty. Like our friends who are using God's word. We should be able to look at God's word and say, you know what? You know what? It's going to be Okay? And we should do that for one another. And some of you need to do that with one another today. And you need to pull someone aside and say, I need prayer because this thing, it doesn't seem okay and I'm hurting. I'm suffering a little bit and I don't know what to do with it. I need someone to help me contextualize this in light of who God is. Can somebody pray with me? Just pull a friend aside and, and, and let's, let's spend our invitation figuring out even like working through in our heart what it means to understand that inheritance in heaven is awesome but inheritance of suffering on earth is actually awesome too okay I'm going to pray dear heavenly father Lord, thank you for this time thank you for your word thank you that you've given me uh, the ability I'm a benefactor of suffering that you've kind of that you've, that you've passed that on to me your son Jesus Christ but that's one of the things that I get to be a part of and if I follow you I'm going to face persecution I'm going to face trial I'm going to face temptation because Satan's not just going to let me preaching the gospel and me living out